Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Ten years from now, we will have a talent pool that will be so much more capable than we have today in solving the specific problems. Leading innovation in their companies. How gravity works. Why are we so different from the chimpanzee? Safe drinking water for all. What about today? It's time to recapture the spirit of innovation. This is your brain. It's an invention of mine. We're ready to go and we're going to do it. This is your brain on innovation. Innovation. Innovate. It's up to us to make it something wonderful. Keeps my brain alive. That's what gives me hope. So how we move on planet Earth affects everything about our quality of life. Go with me here. Humans have always thought of motion, collective or otherwise, as as extensions of their individual physical bodies. Transportation involves people and machines interacting pretty intimately sometimes. Think of it this way. We put on and take off our car suit to drive, our much larger airplane suit to fly, and it's got all those extra pockets for the passengers. The bike suit to pedal. Our stuff gets a vehicle to bring objects to us in the world. So once you start thinking of transportation this way, how we do things seems less than efficient. Everybody needs a car suit? I don't think so. Everybody needs an airplane suit? And some of those airplane suits are pretty ugly. So to flash forward to today, our discussion of innovation lands us into some deliberately wild ideas about humans in motion. Joining us is Natalie Jeremy Jenko, an environmental designer, associate professor at NYU, with a long career breaking down assumptions about how we interact with our environment as a way to get to some pretty important new thinking. Good morning, Natalie. Good morning. So where did you begin to suspect that transportation was a pretty important place to begin tossing out assumptions about how humans live? Well, um, firstly... Cycling isn't great in this city, although it's enjoyable. Um, But recently I found out that uh, actually most of the traffic fatalities are pedestrian. So not even walking is safe, right? 60% of our traffic uh, fatalities in New York City are pedestrians. So that kind of data leads you to believe that transportation and our strategy for implementing transportation is profoundly flawed. Perhaps the worst case is aviation. Exactly. And... Most of us understand that the single most damaging thing we do to the environment is to fly. How is that the case? Uh, Just in in terms of the ecological footprint. But actually, if we really look at that assumption, it need not be, right? Flight doesn't involve the extraordinary infrastructure of roads and roadkill and human kill uh, that web across the country, cutting off migration routes and uh, compromising watersheds and doing ongoing 24-7 damage, right? It could and should be a global mobility system similar to how the birds do it, which, of course, they don't. They, they achieve the global mobility without degrading the environment. And they're much more collaborative in, in the process. So you're describing environmental impacts that relate not only to whatever emissions the planes uh, put out, but, but, but the infrastructure on the ground that disrupts uh, the uh, other animal life and, and eradicates uh, wetlands. Describe your, your, I believe it's called X Airport project, which, which actually attempts to address this. Right. If you actually do a systems analysis of the you know, ecological footprint of our flight systems, what's surprising is that the thrust systems that we think of, um, you know, the fuel, um, is actually quite efficient, 50% uh, improvement in the last uh, 50 years. Automobiles have done the same. But uh, um, surprisingly, the catering services on a a 
a commercial airliner have a larger ecological footprint than the thrust systems. Really? And but, well, there's about 80 trucks that service uh, all that packaging and distribution for those peanuts you don't eat. So then the uh, by far and away the biggest footprint is, in fact, the landing infrastructure. So where would you move it? Well... How would we reimagine it, there right? We go. There we go. That's the designer talking. Uh, the, there we go. The, uh, the fact that we've built these um, on what we used to call cheap, flat swamps near cities, almost without exception, um, and now we understand them to be wetlands, critical habitats, uh, the most efficient uh, ecosystem for sequestering CO2, recharging aquifers, breaking down our you know, industrial contaminants. These wetlands are the 21st century technology, albeit wet and slimy. We have to reinvent and find a place for wetlands and our urban infrastructure. We need them. So are you actually imagining an airport to be a sort of water landing terminal? Yes, I call them wet landings. <laughs> How would I get to the plane? Well, they, uh, uh, there's actually quite a number of um, amphibious planes, and we had that little promotional event a couple of years ago where the U.S. Airways landed in the little uh, wet landing we call the Hudson. Uh, yeah, the, yes. I don't know how promotional that was. It certainly worked out well for them. Could have been really bad, that's for sure. But, right. we but, have but how, do I, how do I get just from the land, because that's where I happen to live, to the plane if it's going to take off in water? Well, in the case of the Icon A5, which was one of these new light sport aircrafts, uh, the amphibious plane lands on the water, uses the embedded and existing infrastructure, and uh, and then takes you right up. It has a, a drawer of about two inches. Uh, it takes you right up to the land, so you step off. All right, so so we're speaking with Natalie Jeremijenko, who's an environmental designer and professor, uh, assistant professor at New York University. Associate, associate professor, excuse me. Um, basically what you're what you're saying is very often we look at transportation and we look at say the automobile and we we think that the the way to make them more, more environmental is is to increase their miles per gallon right and the same with an air an airplane which we feel relatively successful at because we've increased the efficient fuel efficiency of airplanes but you're saying that we're missing the larger component at what it takes to support that airplane every single flight which is enormous and we can do it better if we don't create these huge, massive airports. But if we don't have these massive airports, how do we get thousands, millions of travelers to these little airplanes at the right time, on the schedule? Don't we kind of, isn't it kind of required to have a, a Denver International? I'm not proposing the solution for all airports and all travel at all times, but there's a specific opportunity that's that's arisen and, and I think a very specific challenge and charge, which is it's no longer good enough just to incrementally improve our efficiency, but to think of ways where we can actually improve environmental health and augment biodiversity. Right? And make, make huge leaps. Huge but leaps. One of the things you talk about in your ex-airport uh, project is uh, restoring a sense of wonder to flight, which seems about as counterintuitive as I could imagine. I mean, uh, people hate to fly. All they do is complain about it. Where's the wonder? Here's listen to this. You, you may you may have actually heard this. This is the famous bit from comedian Louis C.K. that gets exactly to the idea that we all carry on this misery about flight. Here he is responding to some guy who complained that he had to sit on the tarmac for a half hour. Oh, really? What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero, that you got to fly? You're flying! It's amazing. You're sitting in a chair in the sky. Yes. 
flying yeah. used to be miraculous, Natalie Jeremy Jenko. How do we get that back? Well, there's a bit of a cultural speed bump that we have to um, get over. And so I developed a, um, a sort of strap-on flight simulator, if you will, a, a handheld set of wings that transforms your car into a portable wind tunnel. You stick them out the window and you can feel the lift, just like most people do hand flying. You can feel the lift and the maneuverability and, in fact, the visceral effect of flight. And I would argue that that's a good way, say, much more transferable in terms of real flight skill than and people respond to this. One. People respond to these. We've had lots of people do it, and then larger is to actually strap on a pair of sixteen-foot wingspan wings and zipline through downtown Toronto, that's... which we did last week, or San Jose. Um, and I've got a number of kids who are very eager to zipline to school, there wearing wings, and have. You'll get a few more after this morning. <laughs> the idea of fast, inexpensive, emissionless flight is, of course, possible with zip lines or fly lines. The infrastructure is extremely lightweight and the possibilities of kind of re-engaging that wonder and fascination of flight that we all Fantastic. have felt. Zip lines to Midtown. I love it. Natalie Jeremy Jenko, an environmental designer, associate professor at NYU. That's our innovation segment. Thanks so much. You can uh, get more information about our innovation series at our website, thetakeaway.org. I'm Celeste Headley. And I'm John Hockenberry looking for that zip line and a pair of wings. This is The Takeaway.